0: This Monday morning, I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM, and 96.9 FM, and I am super pleased to be joined this morning by the sheriff, Kevin Jorgensen. Hey, good morning, good Kevin.
1: Good morning, Andy. It's good to be here too.
0: So we can, uh, I guess, we can talk about it. You're running unopposed, so yeah, yeah. It's uh, that, that's got to be a that's got to be a good feeling that people have enough confidence in the job you're doing that. They mm-hmm. so yeah, more or less are
1: saying, Go ahead, it's yours. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of that certainly comes from within inside the the office. You know, generally most sheriffs around the state, it's it is like that. There's a there's a couple of races in uh, various parts of the state. I know St. Louis County, their sheriff, uh uh Sheriff Litman is I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um I've met him just a few times, but he's he had been sheriff for man uh, got a good while uh, at least four terms possibly five maybe i think five and uh he's retiring and uh so there's a couple of guys from within i think uh, maybe a gal there there's a former police chief uh the, of duluth that's running and so you get things like that but generally it's you know within a sheriff's office you don't always get someone because anyone who has a license, law enforcement license and lives within the said county, uh can, you know, file and, and you know run to be the sheriff. So um you know you look at our office, we've got eighty licensed people and the police department has in Rochester has around 130 some, uh, maybe more, I'm a guess hey, they're growing. Um so there's a potential and then it could be anybody that might be living here that works in another law enforcement agency outside of the county, too, that could be uh, possible. So anyway, yeah, it's a confidence boost. I, 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 someone asked me, it's not anything that I really worry too much about because I feel like we've been doing a lot of good things. Um, and it's not just me. Um, I really try to give credit to the, the staff that we have here and, and how they work and how they handle themselves and and work with our communities, so um, you know it, it yeah. allows us to continue for the focus on what we really need to focus on and not worry about that other stuff
0: also, congratulations on your reelection early,
1: yeah, <laughs> thank you.
0: You can spend your time instead of going door to door, planning the party afterwards, so
1: yeah, well, yeah, and party for me is not much of a party, we, uh, <laughs> we just keep working
0: <laughs> all right, um. I, I hate to even bring this up, but obviously it's it's been on a lot of our minds. Yeah. Um, yet again, another mass shooting at a school in the United States, um, an unbelievable tragedy in Texas. Mm-hmm. And in the aftermath of this, it became even more difficult when they started discussing the timeline of the events and how long yeah. it took for the officers to storm in there and yeah. take care of the gunmen. I and I know you have talked about this before on this program, how the Sheriff's Office and Rochester Police, State Patrol, you guys trained for this sort of thing and you've shifted mm-hmm. the way you train for it as well. And, yeah. and for some reason what you've talked about in the past of immediately storming the school didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Do you have any opinion or any?
1: Well, yeah, I, I do. I mean, the first thing I'm going to say, and I'll probably try to say it a few times because you never know when listeners are popping in and out or getting in and out of their car or whatever they're doing. But um, first thing is, I don't know everything going on. I really don't. I don't know the policies of that agency. I know it's a, um, we talked about a little bit here that it's a, uh, city that's not overly large certainly not bigger than rochester but yet they had a police department that was attached to the school district which um was separate from the actual city police department as, as i understood it which was one of the first things that we noted and was like well that's an interesting take but again it's a different state different rules apply as far as that stuff goes but um you i you know knowing what we know and taking that as, as the only thing that we can base it on without knowing anything else related to the agency's policies or, you know, the command structure. And, you know, there's talk about the chief making demands or commands that day. And, um, yeah, it's hard to fathom that uh, they, they stood outside that room. Um, you know, and there was other phone calls. So confusion on lack of communication from wherever command was to officers inside. Yeah, I just, I I just can't imagine having or seeing that happen here. Uh, If there's a comfort to our communities, um, I just can't see that happening here in in that, in that same scenario. If that is the true scenario and granted, there's going to be multiple investigations, very likely multiple lawsuits, and it's going to take a long time before we all really hear everything. And, and it's not, my place to demand that information because it's, they've got to take its course and we have to be patient with those things like any kind of investigation. Um, But I just, man, my heart, I know we all do our hearts just break for those families and the kids and the teachers. And, you know, I've got teachers in my own family and we all do. It's, you know, it's people that are, you can just put yourself in those positions and those situations and, Wow, just a horrible, horrible thing.
0: And um, one aspect of this I haven't really seen discussed anywhere, and I don't even know if it's appropriate to discuss it, but after I heard about the timeline and the order, you know, the reports, I better say, of the orders that were given or not given, because so often when you do these reports, we find out later on that they were not quite so accurate. But that's why I want to
1: qualify that. I'm not basing my information on anything that I know differently from what anybody else knows. Like right. That's that's the risk that we take when we talk about these things. But, but my,
0: my thoughts also went to those officers who were lined up in that hallway waiting. Yeah. And the The trauma that they're experiencing and will yeah. probably for the rest of their lives carry,
1: Yeah.
0: you know, the what ifs. Yeah. And that, that's, so this is, I mean, it's, there's now no good I'll, that can, I can come from the I, I guess. I
1: can <laughs> say this too, and it it is you know we practice here, uh basically what we call the three echo, which is we enter, evaluate, and evacuate, and that's how we train. We just did a training here earlier this year with RPD and RFD, and um you know we expect to have some. I've ordered and directed our training staff to, um and emergency management staff to. Uh, at some point before the next school year have conversations, at least some level of tabletop training and discussions with all of the schools that we are responsible to in Byron and Dorviota and, and uh, uh, Stuartville and, you know, even potentially collaborate with Chatfield and uh, Goodyear County, which is the police for Pine Island, um, maybe St. Charles and, you know all of our peripherals that we we could end up supporting and backing up making sure that we all understand the philosophy of what 3 echo does and how we want to go in and and do those things and you know the the one piece of this that was stated that i saw heard in some of the interview and i think even part of the the uh, department of public safety chief or colonel I guess I don't know what his title officially was. I saw part of his interview, his public uh, his press presser that he did and there was talk about that you know once the the shooter um, was in the classroom and there was kids in there that had already been shot and wounded and dying and whatever but then he stopped and he he was in there he was trapped basically and of course somebody made a comment that it was a barricaded subject well yes he's barricaded but there's also victims in there and you know some of what we've trained on over the years ever since columbine is uh, go go after what we call the threat go after that threat find that threat and and stop it whatever means possible if they put their gun down that's fine That's great. We'll arrest them. If they don't and they choose to shoot it out, then, you know, consequences are what they are. Um, But when someone barricades, then it is, okay. whoa, slow down. We got barricade. We're going to talk this out, try to deal with that. But in a lot of the discussions that I've had and I've been privy to over the time, that was one thing we I, I don't recall having a lot of conversation about was. Nobody's well, he's barricaded in a room where there's victims. That was a different little twist in it. Yeah. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, "Okay, that's different." But then, ultimately, it still is. We have a job to do. We want to go in and save lives and enter, evaluate, and, ev- and evacuate. And um, um, you know, yeah, you just got to go do something. It's a tough thing to do any any leader, any person in supervisory piece, I remember when I was a deputy and we were on our URU team and we were um, you know taking some risky situations at hand and and I remember one incident where um, one of our guys got injured um could have been could have been pretty bad uh situation. He survived and all but um I remember watching our supervisors of the team at the time and how they worked through that process of, as we had really rehearsed what we were gonna do, we were really as prepared as we possibly could to handle this very potentially volatile situation that did turn volatile for a little bit. Um, and I remember watching the supervisors evaluate that afterwards and, and really kind of beat themselves up to some degree of, Oh, we should have this. We should have that, and you know, the second guessing started even within our themselves, and then you know, amongst yeah. us. And um, it's a hard place to be. But you you don't put on that supervisor badge, and that that you shouldn't put on that supervisor badge or take that title if you don't if you're not ready to make those decisions and some very very difficult decisions.
0: Very, sure. yeah. Well, I just pray that. Uh- we never, ever, 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 ever have to deal with anything. Yeah, similar I do in too. The, in our area,
1: I know, and, that, I and it that's doesn't what, happen anywhere again. Yeah, and that's what we talk about a lot. Is you know we're going to do all we can, whatever collaboration we can with our schools, uh, with our law enforcement partners around here, um, our communities in general. Because as we saw the other day, it can happen in other places. It was a manufacturing place here just the other day, or yeah. last night, or yesterday um i just haven't had a chance to see a whole lot of news lately so i'm a little out of touch as some of these things are happening around the country but um you know we we just have to be prepared for for anything anytime anywhere and i think our communities expect us to be ready for that so we try to be ready and we want to be ready um but again you don't know what the curveballs are going to be when they come at you so um we're trust I, i i hope and believe that our communities trust in us and that we will uh, be prepared to do what we have to do.
0: All right. We're with the sheriff this morning, Sheriff Kevin Torgerson of Almstead County on Rochester Today. And we'll continue after a quick break on News Talk 1340, KROC AM ninety six nine Evan Draby for Olivia Way Control Center. This morning with the Sheriff Kevin Torgerson. Um, sheriff, the ongoing law enforcement memorial project It's starting. it's taking shape right i mean you guys yeah it is really cold when you started construction how are things going with that
1: well we're kind of in a holding pattern um some we keep getting little curveballs thrown at us on that project um you know over the winter we expected that we were going to be able to get some of the etchings and at least get the names engraved on the memorial and that didn't happen Basically, due to a fallout from COVID, um, the company, one of the major suppliers of the stenciling, they call it, the application that goes on the stone, and I think that's how they do the etchings. I don't know how it works, but anyway, that's that application, the stenciling, vaporized, uh, gone. Uh, one company that was the largest producer in the United States stopped making it during COVID completely, and, of course, that supply went out the door in a heartbeat, because these companies that do this stuff and certainly the ones locally, you know, they engrave the headstones and all those yeah. things. And they also do these kind of memorials and and on a memorial of the size that we have and one certainly next door at the Soldiers Field Veterans Memorial. Those are really big when you compare them to a, somebody's headstone. Right. Um, and the work that needs to be done there. Um, so that stenciling just disappeared. And uh, our our. The company, I think it's Anderson Memorials, is doing it for us. Um, couldn't get any. Uh, all winter. Um, in fact, I'm not sure exactly where his supply is right now, but he he was confident that um, once he gets through his busy time, which is now, the summer months, when he's engraving headstones and placing them and doing all that work, he's doing his, his paid-for business. Um, it'll probably be this winter again when – we hope to get back out there and be able to do that so that's been on hold uh so we thought we'd have some kind of a project something to look at a little bit but right now we have three big walls and a and an obelisk that just stand there and a couple of big piles of dirt um but um, we also had hoped that early in the spring uh april into may that we'd be able to start moving some dirt doing some landscaping and things like that well We've had some challenges there, too. There was uh, um, some changes uh, that had been made uh, that were unforeseen with one of the companies that was going to help with that and do it, I think, for free, because we are trying to do as much of this as cheaply as we can, but yet obviously as respectfully and get it done as best as we can and do it right. Um, So, the company that was going to move the dirt, um, we we've, we've working on finding a new company to help with that because that changed. And then the supply for the retaining walls was also slowed um, in getting that, and that's all come, stuff coming out of COVID. So uh, we picked the worst time to finally get this thing project off oh the gosh. ground. But now I'm hopeful that yet maybe by the end of June here um, into July, we'll start seeing some movement there. Um. Again, I can't predict how these things are going. I mean, it's just terribly busy right now. There's so much construction going on around us again throughout Olmsted County and Southeast Minnesota having these companies willingly step aside and do something um, in kind for us at the memorial. We just are so thankful that they're willing to do that. But I mean, they've got to pay bills. They've got to get things done. They're on timelines too. And so squeezing us in, here and there, and moving their heavy equipment around and stuff, it doesn't—it's just not easy. So mm-hmm. we're just up against a whole bunch of challenges right now with it. And but I'm—I'm I'm still very hopeful. Uh, Titan Development is our biggest supporter and sponsor behind this whole project is the contractor and and uh, wrangling all these different people in. So. I hope, again, maybe by Rochester Fest, uh, very optimistically or soon after, 4th of July or soon after the 4th end of July, we'll start seeing some some work being done. And the first thing that'll happen uh, and and that has to happen next is the retaining walls will start going up. And then um, by the fall, once that's done, the retaining walls are first, then we can start putting some pavers in, some additional concrete uh, for the pathways, and then ultimately, the plantings and uh, I know the there's a whole bunch of landscaping and horticultural type uh, companies and groups around that are just itching to get back, get in there and, and start really beautifying that place and, and get the garden part of the, the project off the ground too. So that's our hope. And uh, I still feel right. confident with that. And um,
0: we're going to do raise. field the
1: flags again. So we got, we can field the flags during Rochester fest is coming up. So we're, we're always fundraising because uh, we have, this is a living project that has to live on for uh, generations to come. So um, we're still looking for funds and helping us out. Because obviously, like everything else, including gas prices, um, the prices have gone up for some of the things that we do have to pay for. And so um, we still need some money. And we'd love to. I'd love to talk to anybody and any group organization that would be willing to make a donation to us at any time.
0: All right, as far as individual donations, uh, is there a website people can go to to make a donation? Yeah,
1: right now you can go to lawenforcementmemorial.org or look for our Facebook page. It's the Law Enforcement Memorial of Southeast Minnesota. Um, And right now we are doing the Feel the Flags fundraiser, but there is a donate button. You can just straight up donate to the foundation as well. Or you can uh, send a check to the Southeast. The easiest way to do it is the Southeast Memorial Foundation. Um and it's PO box 101 Rochester Minnesota.
0: 101 that should be 101.
1: PO box 101 it's the <laughs> same address it's the same as the government center address here in Rochester oh, okay. 101 4th Street so 101 PO box This
0: whole pandemic thing with the shortages the that's probably other than the baby formula one that's probably yeah. the craziest one i've heard. Yeah that it's from memorials
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely vaporized. It just was gone. Um, they, Our guy was able to find some stuff out of China, apparently, but uh, he didn't like it because it didn't stick the same and it didn't, one isn't as, I don't know, pliable or workable. Um, So hey. he's going to use it only as some trim. He found it from somebody else out of South Dakota and apparently they were willing to give it up. <laughs> I was thinking because they too couldn't figure out how to make it work as well. So, uh, so anyway, we, we wait on that and the beauty and the work that's going to be on those walls. Uh, you know, we'll just have to be a little more patient on that.
0: So if you have a warehouse or storage locker full of this stenciling material, give the sheriff a call. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: give Kevin, don't call. expect a call. I don't think you will get one. <laughs> yeah, we, we need that stuff for sure. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, well, we'll
0: take a break for news here and we will return with more of Sheriff Kevin Torgerson on Rochester Today on uh, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. The Golden Ghost. Today on this Monday morning, I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM with Almstad County Sheriff Kevin Torgerson. Uh, I was perusing your monthly newsletter, Sheriff. Yeah. And once again, we're talking about retirements of, of folks who have been with your office. Well, one of them has been there Forever. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've been kidding. here at the radio station forever and she's got me beat. Big Yeah, times.
1: 46 years. She started actually in 1975 kind of doing some intern work, um, both I think with the city and the county and and uh, primarily with the county, public works, social services, and then uh, switched over, I think, a little bit to more public health and, and then kind of sheriff's office and and police department for a long time that's when i came she was doing crime prevention work so a lot of people have met her over the years in fact if you want to go say hi to denise she's retired now but she's not giving up her elks job over there selling pull tabs so is that uh, right <laughs> um, We're talking about- i'm not I said elks the eagles eagles club oh the eagles club okay yeah the eagles um so you, you want to say hi to denise i'm sure she's over there and she's uh, just a wonderful people person the institutional knowledge that she left uh, because ultimately she started our crime prevention. Then she moved morphed into our training slash crime prevention as we merged those two um, areas back in there. I think probably the early eighties and it was still a police department sheriff's office team together. And she wrangled the the guys, primarily guys that were in there from police department and, uh, and sheriff's office guys. And then, um, in 2014 um, and 15, then we we were starting to get to the point where we were looking at how our training division and emergency management could come together. And then I think it was in probably, probably 2016-ish, I think we finally we pulled the switch. And So then she was in emergency management as well as training. Um, and she worked uh, when I was in emergency management, when the Orinoco uh, bridge and dam and stuff came down, she, we put her into work in, in emergency management for a little while because we needed to have some extra clerical staff. And, um, you know, and near and dear to me with her is I, we, I was commander of the state law enforcement honor guard and uh, that handles all line of duty deaths and a lot of other law enforcement related deaths in, in the state. And I'd been doing that job for a while. And we have this honor guard camp that trains law enforcement agencies from across the country. Um, federal agencies, we've had Border Patrol and all kinds of different agencies involved coming to us from across the country to Minnesota to to train with our team. And we needed some additional administrative help. It was just getting the camp was su- such a hit, still is, and she's still been going out there. In fact, I think they might be pulling her back into that yet, even <laughs> out of retirement um, so I, I tabbed her and said, you're coming with me. I need you to help me with this. And we, uh, you know, more from applications that were mailed in to online stuff. And I mean, 46 years of, of all that she did, she was never shy and away from technology and stuff. I mean, just a amazing person. So sad to see her go, but, uh, you know, it was her time and. She definitely served Olmsted County and the city of Rochester and everybody here in Southeast Minnesota and the state of Minnesota very, very well over those 46 years. Well, I hope
0: you guys just don't all fall apart because a person like Denise Hafner behind the scenes, you know, you have somebody that knows everything (laughs) and all the people involved and and some of the names that you mentioned in the newsletter when you talked about her retirement. I was laughing that we... Bill Gordon going back. Harry oh, yeah. Algaier Think of those back. names
1: there. Russ Sterling, Sterling Danny Poulter. Yeah. Oh, my like gosh. Like Rayleigh. Yeah. Harry Allgaier, who went on yeah. to be a, a chief of police somewhere else. John Franks. I mean, yeah, the guys that she worked with out there, all really strong personalities. And yet yes. Denise could kill all of them, which says a lot for her.
0: Well, we so, want to wish uh, Denise congratulations. That's yeah, for sure.
1: absolutely. She 46 years. Yeah, amazing. Amazing.
0: And also, uh, you mentioned you're trying to, off the air, we you're trying to fill a position in the adult detention center. Yeah. Got yeah. Another retirement.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, we've got, you know, I think we're, I was just talking to Chief Deputy Howard, we're six positions short there. We've got, interviews we're doing uh, as we speak and getting ready for the next round of interviews coming up in a couple of weeks so uh, it's it's a non-stop cycle right now with people but you know we're, and I've said this before in other formats I don't know if I've said it here but our office is in a in that kind of uh, rotational flux in a sense where in the early 90s so 30 years ago that's when we moved into the government center uh, 1993 into this building uh, that I'm in today, and uh, so those people 30 years ago, we we hired more people. We had to do more things and stuff, and so you know, you just have to do those things. And of course, the growth of the county and the city has has continued. So we're at that point now where this is our new normal. Um, where when I first got hired and came here in 1986, I was the youngest guy, seniority wise and age wise, on my shift for six years. We got guys in our patrol division our detention center they go they go with three months and they got seniority under them um that wasn't the way it went back in the no. 80s and early 90s <laughs> so that's kind of where we're at with this whole you know these people that started back then and denise even before that of course but started and and you know it's now they're getting to that point in time yeah it's time for them to retire and move on so um, we we will have continuous job opportunities with the sheriff's office uh well into the future and long after I'm gone as well.
0: <laughs> so specifically you're it was Tom Lansing, right?
1: Yeah, Tom is oh, Tom so was oh, How long well, was
0: he with the sheriff's He office? was
1: with us for I think just short of twenty seven years and he had worked some other places before that. Um in fact I think uh oh, I can't remember if he was uh, he might have done a little stint out of the juvenile center, possibly. I'm not 100% sure on that. I can't remember. Um, I'm trying to look at his article here, too. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Tom, again, just one of those guys, just steady, calm, the epitome of a detention deputy. You need these people to be very calm, very willing to adjust and deal with people with strong personalities and you know everything from drug addiction to alcohol-related issues to behavioral health, mental health. Um, Tom was just one of those guys, just as steady as they come. And, uh, he had had a, he had had a, uh, uh, a, a accident off duty, um, about a year ago. And, um, it was going to be pretty tough for him to completely come back to everything oh. he used to be doing. So it probably took him out a little earlier than, than he would have liked. But, uh, again, man, we just couldn't say enough about Tom and his is dedication to the communities and dedication to the detainees. You know, they, they, they become, unfortunately we have people that come and go out of the detention center. And, you know, as far as being arrested and released and come back again. And Tom was one of those guys again, that he just had a great knack of calming people down and working with them and helping them through their bad days. Um, so, Again, yeah, we just uh, can't thank him enough for his his uh, dedication to his craft, really, because it is a craft yeah. in working with people like that.
0: Well, congratulations, Tom Lansing as well. You also retired a filing cabinet, I understand.
1: <laughs> yes, we did. Oh, my God, that's probably, um, it's, it's not any better than Tom or Denise. But <laughs> that was a monumental occasion for us to move all of our warrants that have been in our office. We kept the old one. We're probably going to frame it. There's an old John Doe murder warrant that, um, from back, what was it? 19. Uh, I can't remember now. 1940 or something oh, really? like that. Um, yeah, it's really, really old and we still had the old jacket and the original writing on it. So yeah, we're going to frame that and, and probably put that up in the warrant office over there. Cause amazing. But we took all those warrants, thousands of warrants, and uh, unfortunately, I wish we didn't have any. Um, If if we didn't have any, that would mean that people show up for their court dates and and do what they're supposed to do. But personal behavior as it is, I don't think that's going to ever change, but um, we'd love to see it happen. But we took all those warrants. Now they're all electronic, and uh, yeah. It's, uh, so
0: They just show up on the laptop of the deputy who is serving the warrant. is
1: Yep. 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 And uh, dispatch, you can email them around and, you know, you know, like uh, it's not unusual for, uh, say, somebody out in, I'll just pick a place, uh, Columbus, Ohio, arrest somebody on a Holmes County warrant. It's usually going to be a serious warrant when it's out, out of state. Um, we can have the warrant in hand and email to them now. Just like that. I mean, you'd think that we should, could have done that maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But, <laughs> um, uh, when email became really popular 25 years ago or whatever it was, um, it took a while to get the the processes and the, you know, it's, it's got to be secure pipelines and oh, yeah. all these different things. Mean, all this stuff has to, you know, has fingers encrypted in it. To make it sure. and
0: passwords encrypted
1: and password. Encrypted. Oh, yeah. All that stuff. So okay. we finally got there. And uh, yeah, it's. I know it's nice not to have to, because our, what would literally happen, we ended up, we, we've we had two carts and these are big filing cabinets, four drawer cabinets stacked full of these warrants and a warrant gets folded up into, you know, kind of a, like you would fold a letter. So basically a, your basic business size letter and maybe just a touch bigger, that was a warrant jacket. And we had thousands of them in these two big carts, big four drawer filing cabinets. And then we put them on these. Basic uh, uh, carts that you would use to move furniture around, basically. (laughs) And uh, we would wheel them every morning and every night to our dispatch uh, in this building and then back again. Because at night and on weekends and holidays, the dispatchers have to verify. So you can't arrest if if an officer, say, in Columbus or in St. Paul, stops somebody for a Olmstead County warrant. They have to verify that that warrant is real and it's good because these warrants can come and go, they get quashed. Somebody might, you know, say they're down here, they go to court and then they go back to St. Paul and the judge dismissed the warrant or they paid their fines or whatever. So the case is dismissed. But if we don't get have somebody, and that was one of our earlier retirements when Mary Blagan retired last year, she had, you know, Golly, what does she have? Thirty plus years of experience with us. That was her main job was to enter and 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 delete these warrants once they were deemed to be quashed or removable. And uh, so sometimes, if the warrant is not uh, quashed or isn't removed from the system, someone could get obviously arrested for a warrant that is not shouldn't be oh. active. And uh, so, you have to verify these every time. So, if somebody's in St. Paul or Columbus, like I said, stops somebody and they shows in the system that there's an Olmstead County warrant, it has to be verified. Now, that can be done electronically. So, yeah. yeah, it makes the job a lot easier for a lot of people. Our dispatch will still be involved in that, but it's in a little different format now. And, well, sure. It'll come up on their screen uh, in some way, shape, or form, I
0: suppose. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But- but you've taken away from us the old Hollywood image of when you serve a warrant, you slap them with that piece of paper. Yeah, say, yeah. <laughs>
1: well, if they want it that way, they can always print it out at the, at the receiving end and still give it
0: to
1: them. <laughs> um, and, and people always say, well, you got you to have the warrant. Eh, no, not really. You know, search warrant, yes, when we serve a search warrant on somebody, we have to have that. And here's the search warrant. This is what we're looking for. But as long as they get it by the time they get booked in, um, that's that's okay by in the eyes of the law, and I know on TV and Dragnet and the old all the old TV shows and stuff. Um, yeah, that's the way that they did it because it was more dramatic that way. Oh, it sure, it was fun, but it's not the facts of life. So okay, <laughs>
0: well. What are you gonna do with the filing cabinets? Like oh just. Well, some-
1: one <laughs> is still over there, and I'm not sure what they've got it doing, but it's sitting against the wall, and we've got rid of the <laughs> other one, and I'm sure it's in somebody's office and enjoying a new, a new life as a filing cabinet in somebody else's office. All right. We kept if one. Only of the that filing and- cabinet could talk. The stories, yeah, could oh, tell. it had stories. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh man, stories those warrants could tell you, man.
0: All right. Yeah. Well,
1: we have to take a really quick break,
0: Sheriff. Uh, All right. We'll back. Uh, in just a moment with more of Sheriff Kevin Torgerson on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Maybe for Olivia Weight Control Center. Hey, Ferguson, it's Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Uh, earlier in the program, you were telling us of the, <laughs> the effects of the pandemic and the supply chain issues you were facing with the memorial. Yeah. The other yeah. aspect of this pandemic that's really... Um, I don't know, it gets some attention, but maybe not enough attention, is um, the blood banks have really been yeah. hurt.
1: Yeah, uh, I know early on in the, in the pandemic, there was some talk about that, that people needed to uh, remember to donate blood. So yeah, we uh, we had a deal, one of the police officers with the city of Rochester had a great idea to actually hold a blood donation, blood bank donation uh, event, blood drive, one day up at the new police station. And And uh, so it it pits, because it's called Battle of the Badges, so it pits the Sheriff's Office and the Police Department against um, Mayo Ambulance and other, I think I can't remember the other ambulance services here in town or in the area. And then I think it's Stewartville, Byron and Rochester Fire Department. So it's it's the, the whole EMS network, it's the law enforcement versus the fire department versus the EMS people. And uh, they give out this neat little trophy stuff that travels around between the three of us. And and uh, we won it. The law enforcement won it, I think, last time. No, maybe the fire department came back and won it. I, I forget how it was. But well, I know, I know we
0: won it. you guys have this rivalry. I know that. Yeah,
1: so. it's, it, Well, we've always had that rivalry. Always, that'll never go away. But, um, so anyway, we're doing that. And, and all you got to do, you go to the male blood bank. And that's the only blood bank you can do it through. Um, but if you do do it, any kind of blood donation, and I just found it here, the, the challenge goes through August 31st. Okay. So when you check in, if you go over to the, the, I think it's the Hilton building and you go to the blood bank, you go in there and when you're checking in, there's a kind of a little deal off to the left hand side and it should say battle of badges or whatever. And you can fill out a slip and put it in whichever, uh, lot you want to support, whether it's the cops, the firefighters, or the EMS folks. And uh, that donation then counts one. And when we're done, we'll see who, who wins. So we certainly hope that listeners will go to the blood blank and donate to the and say their donation is in honor of the law enforcement folks, and and we can win again. So it's so all... i going to
0: have different. to have somebody from the fire department on so they can get their plug in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah, mail yeah. ambulance so they get their you plug in. You don't have in. to do that. Those guys are sitting <laughs> back in the easy chair
1: somewhere, that's okay. <laughs> uh, oh, that is okay. Chief so yeah, and so I, we have a, a fun little thing going on there with that oh event. yeah it's a lot of fun and uh, again it goes through august 31st with the blood bank it's called battle of the badges and um we'd love to have your support there it's for obviously a very good cause so it's just so a i'll lot throw
0: of the phone number out too if you for the mayo clinic blood donor program it's 507-287-4475 And I know that they would love to hear from you, regardless of what time of the year it is. Absolutely. They're always in need. I I cannot remember any time in my many years of being involved in reporting activities in the community where they have issued so many urgent and emergency Mm -hmm. calls for donations. Yeah. So it's obviously yeah. a very serious situation.
1: Oh, it is. I mean, just think about all the people that come through and the surgeries and things that go on over yeah. St. Mary's and Methodist and Clinic and all that. Man, the, ah. the volume they go through here is, you know, really unfathomable. And so they yeah. need, they need our blood. They need our donations.
0: And I know when I went through my stint in the ICU a few months back, I got more than my share. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was very very happy that people had step forward and donate it. Yeah. so that's the battle of the badges and once again yeah. congratulations on your re-election <laughs> way before it actually happened so okay I look Thank forward you. to talking with you again next month sheriff all righty thanks a lot annie all take right. care sheriff, sheriff kevin torguson this morning is rochester today news talk 1340 kroc am and six nine fm the minnesota twin